Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and click on the Listen tab. There you can download the Crosswalk Notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. As you'll see from the title on your program, really the the truth that we're trying to, to get Uh, really clear in everyone's mind is Jesus is the Son of God. He had a life that was like no other that will change your life forever if you walk with him and put your faith in him. Uh, God promises that that is truly life-changing because there is no one else uh, who ever lived like Jesus. And that's simply because, as it says, he is the Son of God. So a lot of the titles are going to contain this like no other to to pull the the whole message series together. And today we're talking about an inauguration like no other. Now, what do you think about when you hear that word inauguration right now? I'm guessing that many of you are focused forward a couple of weeks to January 20th, a Friday, when there will be an inauguration of uh, a new president. Some of you are looking uh, forward to that with some fear and trepidation. You're anxious about it. You don't know what this might mean. You don't know what it means for the future of our country. Some of you are looking forward to it with great excitement. You're thinking this is the change that our country needs. I'm not here to help you decide which is the right response to the presidential inauguration, okay? So I'm just throwing this out as we gotta talk about it a little bit so we can move past it. So here's my way of talking about it. Inauguration has always been an interesting thing. So I wanted to look up some pretty cool inauguration facts, which I did. And do you realize that for the first six presidents, there was something new in the inauguration every time? So, so let me just give you, I know you want these presidential inauguration factoids, don't you? Yeah, okay. At least some of you are interested in history. Thank you. I'm teasing. All right. George Washington. Do you know when he was inaugurated? Not in January. He was inaugurated all the way back on April 30th, 1789. And you know what he did immediately after reciting the oath? This is the cool fact for George Washington. He picked up his Bible that he had just sworn an oath on and he kissed it. Isn't that awesome? That's what George Washington, the very first president, did after his inauguration. After Washington, anybody know who the second president was? John Adams, very good, you history buffs. His inauguration day was on March 4th, which then was the inauguration for 136 years until early 19th century, I think 1933, something like that. It was on March 4th. And uh, he was the very, the new thing for John Abbs was he was the first president to receive the oath of office from a chief justice of the United States Supreme Court. Third president, anyone? Jefferson, his was the first inauguration in Washington, D.C., which had just become the federal capital the year before in 1800. Jefferson broke precedent by walking to his own inauguration instead of being carried in a, in a carriage as the, the other presidents had been. 
And another really cool thing is the Marine Band played for Thomas Jefferson for the first time, and that continues as a tradition down to today in our inaugurations. Fourth president, now it's getting tougher. Madison, good. James Madison, he was kind of a party dude. The first inaugural ball was held after his inauguration. That's his first. Tickets cost $4 a piece. Not bad. That's a deal. Fifth president, John Quincy Adams, I think. Do I have it wrong? All right. He was the first, this is big, guys, to not wear those little half pantaloon things. He wore long trousers. So proud of that guy for doing that rather than the knee breeches thing. All right. And then finally, uh, Andrew Jackson bathed in a little controversy we think politics is vicious now. John Quincy Adams refused to attend the inauguration of his successor, Andrew Jackson. That was the first there. And the reason he gave was, the guy's a jerk. Not going to go to his inauguration. <laughs> anyway, there's more to that story, but that's basically what he said. Isn't that interesting? We are not talking about that today. We're talking about a completely different inauguration. We're talking about the inauguration of Jesus Christ into his ministry almost 2,000 years ago. And, and so let's, let's talk a little bit about what an inauguration is. Because actually, we're not just talking about one inauguration today. We're talking about two inaugurations. One is we're talking about the inauguration of Jesus Christ into his ministry. But secondly, and just as importantly, we're talking about your inauguration into 2017. And, and how you plan to further your faith as you live out one more year of grace walking with Jesus. So to go down, and then we're going to define inauguration, then I'm going to pop back up and we'll read the reading. An inauguration, what it, what it basically is, is an official beginning. That's what we're going to be talking about, the official beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Now, if you look it up in dictionaries, you'll get definitions that sound like these. I love the internet nowadays. You can, you can access like five dictionaries. So I kind of melded some together. Uh, an inauguration is the introduction of a new system, policy, or period. So it's your inauguration into the period of time called 2017. Maybe you want to institute some new systems or policies for your own life so that in that way as we begin this year it's an inauguration for you and for me too it's the formal admission of someone in office that's what we're talking about today uh, with either a presidential inauguration which we're not talking about today or jesus inauguration and then finally an inauguration can refer to a ceremony to mark the beginning of something. All right, so let's go back now and let's read about the inauguration of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, into his ministry. I'm going right to the top of page one in your crosswalk notes. If you've got your Bible app open, I'm reading Mark 1, 1 to 13. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah. So would you circle those words, the beginning? 
Inauguration. Maybe you want to write inauguration right next to those words. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. Yum, yum. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. So you can see, even Mark calls this a beginning. It's what is it the beginning of? It's the beginning of the good news. And that, that word in the original language is also the word that we use uh, for gospel. Gospel means good news. So it's the beginning of the gospel or the good news about whom? About Jesus. And then he identifies the key things that he is going to spend the entirety of his gospel of Mark trying to prove. Because Mark is writing to a unique audience when it, as far as it goes with the, with the gospel writers. So Matthew, for example, uh, wrote to uh, the Jews because he wanted to convince the Jewish people that Jesus was the long-promised Messiah. We see a quote in Mark's book as it starts from the Old Testament. Did you know that this is the only time that Mark quotes the Old Testament in the entire gospel. Now, if you read Matthew, who's trying to convince the Jews that Jesus is the long-promised Messiah, you'll see quote after quote after quote from the Old Testament. Mark's audience is different. Mark had, an, uh, had a Roman background, and so he was, he was more interested in helping the Romans, and, and by background, I mean that he served in Rome apparently several times with Paul and then with Peter, and, and wanted the Romans to become convinced that Jesus was the Son of God and the Messiah. So he's going to spend his entire gospel trying to convince them and us of that. And that's why we've called this, this whole series, Jesus, Son of God. So 
the big thing that I want you to underline in that first verse is this is the beginning, it's an inauguration, and it's the beginning of this message series for us. And we're doing the same thing as Mark. Our goal is the same thing throughout this series. We hope that when you are ending this series in May with us, that you will be even more convinced than you are today that Jesus is the Son of God and your Savior. So let's go on. And, and next, what, what John is going to talk about is uh, a prophecy, as I mentioned to you before. And he's going to talk about what we might refer to as the forerunner. Now, if you're a younger male right now, and you hear the word forerunner, the first thought that's going to uh, pop into your mind is the video game Halo. There's a whole race of people in the video game Halo called forerunners. If you're slightly older, you might think of a Toyota pickup truck. This is not what we're talking about. We are talking about a person who literally in ancient times would run ahead of public officials, important public officials, and announce their arrival. This was commonly done. Uh, it, it was part of the culture of that day that whenever someone important was about to arrive, there would be a person, many times a whole group of people, sometimes an entire parade, that would come as forerunners to announce the big man is on his way. So just by having a forerunner, just by referring back to Isaiah, and by the way, there's also a little bit of Malachi in this passage, but by referring back to these, he's saying, look, this is a trip, an arrival that has been planned for centuries. In fact, in my morning devotion this morning, we started a new plan. If you want to read along with us, I'm just going to do a sidebar here. Uh, we are in Bible.com as a staff, and we are doing a reading plan to read through the Bible in, in a year, and it's called uh, the Reformation Bible Reading Plan. So just maybe note that on your notes, and you can read with us. Uh, Reformation Bible Reading Plan. So I was reading mine this morning, and uh, one of the parts of the reading was John. And it, and it makes it very clear <laughs> that... This arrival was not planned just for centuries. Isaiah, 700 years before Christ. But this arrival was planned from eternity as part of God's great plan of salvation. So here comes the forerunner. And uh, we read about it. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of, help me, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's what it says in verse 4. So John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. I'm here as a sort of a forerunner today to do the same thing John the Baptist did. To tell you that we should not be afraid of things like guilt. That we should not fear a little bit 
of shame. Now, that is not something that you're going to hear in our culture. You're frankly going to be told to avoid those things. But when you are told to completely push fear, uh, uh, rather uh, guilt and shame out of your mind, don't acknowledge it, don't believe that it should exist for you, it will only tear down your self-image, that is like saying, pay no attention to the garbage overflowing out of the garbage bin under the sink in the kitchen. Ignore it, and it'll go away. Does it work? Nope. It piles higher and higher. It starts to spill out of the garbage can. It starts to smell and stink. And it can cause disease if you leave it there long enough. That's the same thing that happens when people say, you know what? As far as sin goes, the spiritual garbage that I produce in my life, I can just, I, I need for the sake of my own mental health to, to push that out of my mind and just not feel guilty and ashamed about things. John the Baptist and I today come to you as a forerunner to say, please ignore that advice from our culture. Because if you don't ignore that advice from our culture, and if you don't examine your life carefully, if we all don't examine our life carefully, in light of the commandments, there are 10 of them, if we don't examine our life carefully in light of what Jesus is going to say more deeply about those commandments, things like even if you do something in your heart or just in your mind, or if it just slips off your tongue, but you have no intention of acting on those words, that's still the sin. If we determine to push that out of our mind, we will very soon find our garbage piling up and stinking and it will lead to spiritual disease and illness. John the Baptist knew this and that's exactly what the Jews in his day were doing too. It's exactly what the culture was teaching them. The Pharisees, for example, taught them that if they just tried hard enough, well, they could live a good enough life to please God. The Sadducees taught them things like, well, you know, we're not sure what's real about God and what's not. Pretty sure that eternal life doesn't exist. So the Sadducees basically taught them just to be as good a people as they could possibly be and don't think too supernaturally. The Zealots said, this is all about politics. You know, what we need to do if we want to have spiritual health is we need to get the Romans out of here. That's our solution. And so here comes John, dressed kind of weird. Dressed, in fact, to look like someone that they had heard about if they had read their Bibles. A guy named Elijah, a prophet. And in fact, John comes as the final prophet 400 years after 400 years. I'm talking four centuries after the last previous prophet. And starts preaching one thing. Repent. All right? So let's, Acts talks about it too. Take a look at the top of page two in your notes. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of what? Repentance. Circle that word. Now, I love Paul's definition of repentance here. 
Because Paul now expands the definition of repentance beyond what I've just been telling you about, doesn't he? Because what is the very next line? It's not, he told the people, be sorry for your sins. See, that's what I've been talking about. And, And by the way, if you read the other gospels, John the Baptist did talk about that. Remember when he talked to the people and he said, they asked him, what should we do? And he said, well, if you've got two shirts, share. He, he, talked, he talked to, you know, soldiers and other people around him and told them to change the way they were doing things. So he talked about sin, but here Paul says, he also told the people to believe in the one coming after him that is in Jesus. Part of repentance is not just turning away from our sin in sorrow over the wrongs and the hurts that we've caused, but it is turning to the cross, turning to Jesus Christ, trusting in the cross and in all that Jesus has done for us that it really has completely won forgiveness for us. So it's, it's really two things. You turn this way and say, I'm taking the garbage out, And it's turning this way and saying, ah, that garbage can's all clean, Clorox, new trash liner in it. Jesus has come and forgiven all my sins. I'm free. I have hope again. I have a new start because I am forgiven. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him. That is in Jesus. So write this down. Jesus' inauguration, John the Baptist in particular, invites me to repentance. You are invited. I I want you to emphasize in your mind that word, invited. Jesus is not forcing you to repent. Jesus has not got a boot in your butt. Jesus is graciously inviting you to something that he wants to give you. In fact, if you want to carry the picture a little bit further, this is Jesus walking into the house of your heart and saying, can I take that garbage out for you? And you're like, what? No, Jesus, you're a guest here. And Jesus says to you, I don't want to be a guest here. I want to live here. I want to live here in your heart. And if I'm going to live here in your heart, you need to let me take the garbage out for you. You are invited to let Jesus take the garbage out for you. Are you going to tell him yes? Are you going to tell him no? It's an invitation. So, Jesus' inauguration invites me to repentance, to turn from sin and dedicate oneself to the amendment of one's life. It is to feel regret or contrition. Contrition, you can write sorrow. That's that's another big theological word. It just means I'm sorry for what I did. And finally, the most basic meaning of repentance is to change one's mind. This is the part. To change your mind to go, no more of this, 
No more sin. I'm sorry I ever did that. I regret it. I feel ashamed of the behavior I was practicing. I've changed my mind, and I'm going over here. Here we go, baby. This is it. From now on, Jesus, the cross, he, through the cross, is taking the garbage out for me by his grace, his mercy, and his love. Amazing. So that's the first invitation that we get to repentance. Flip back to the front. Now take a look at verse 5 on the front. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. What happens? As soon as John points people to Jesus, tells them to repent of their sins, crowds start to develop. It's, it's a, amazing that all of a sudden, people show we're ready. We, we want Jesus. We're saying, yes, Jesus, live here in our hearts. Jesus, we, we are turning away from this side. We are changing our mind and going to that side. In fact, if you read Acts chapter 2, you see very similar response when Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost. People say, we're ready. Motivated by the power of the Holy Spirit, because none of us is ever going to be naturally ready. But we see this throughout the Gospels, that in fact, the good news of Jesus Christ gets hearts ready. Because along with the good news of Jesus Christ comes the power of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit. If you're listening to the good news, if you're hearing about the cross, you may not feel it. You probably aren't going to see it. You may not even know it's happening. But the Holy Spirit is opening a door and coming in to live with you in your heart. And we, we, we see it throughout the Bible, that that is true. Take a look at Acts chapter 2, verses 36 to 38. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified. Look how direct he is, confronting their sin. You killed him, you people. Both Lord and Messiah. Do you realize you murdered the Son of God, the Lord, the Messiah? He's not mincing terms. He's not sugarcoating it. When the people heard this, they were, underline these words, cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? See, that shows their readiness, that question. Are you ready to ask that question? Are you cut to the heart? Are you ready to inaugurate 2017 and say, what should I do differently? Because of the Lord's love out of gratitude for his perfect sacrifice for me. Because I am forgiven, because I am free, because I no longer have to carry around the baggage of my shame and guilt, what should I do? If you're asking that question, that's a great question. It's the very question that the people coming out to John the Baptist asked. It's the question that these people are asking Peter. And Peter replied, aren't you interested to know? Repent 
and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of, what did I say? The Holy Spirit. So, write this down. Jesus' inauguration invites me to spiritual readiness. First of all, repentance. Now, spiritual readiness. And here's, here's what we have to ask ourselves. See, what happened with, with the people that were coming out to John the Baptist, what, what happened here at Pentecost with Peter's sermon was people got the message. They understood clearly, we're in hot soup here. This is not good. The way we've been living needs to change. And we need someone who can help us. We need someone who can save us. We cannot do it on our own, but we have someone who wants to live with us, walk with us, and change us. You see, here's what I'm going to tell you, and I hope you believe this down to your toes. New Year's resolutions will fade. I have a friend at his gym they literally bring in new gym equipment on January 1. Literally a whole scat of new gym equipment. But, but guess what? It's all rented. By January 15, it's all out again. And why do they do that? Because they want to serve the people who have made a New Year's Resolution. And those people were resolved. They had decided. They were firm. I'm going to get healthy this year. I'm going to work out this year. I'm going to improve my diet this year. That doesn't work. Not for very long. And see, we get fooled because, ah, we see immediately, hey, in the first two weeks, it seems to be working. But when we fall off of our resolutions, sometimes we forget to look back and go, boy, that didn't last very long. You want something that really lasts? It's not a resolution, it's a relationship. And it's a relationship with one single person, and his name is Jesus Christ. Talk to anyone who has had a good relationship with Jesus Christ. And maybe a long relationship with Jesus. Talk to any veteran Christian, and I guarantee you, if they're honest with you, they're going to say, my life is nothing like it was when I became a Christian. And I think they will also be the first to tell you it's not going to be because they resolved to do anything different. It's going to be because, hey, Somehow, as I just walked with Jesus in my life and had this relationship with him, he changed me. So do you, do you want real change? Do you want to find in 2017, finally, some happiness, some peace, some hope? Do you want things to switch up? Stop with the resolutions and start with a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the way to get there. And then repent and be ready for Jesus to change you. Have I gotten the message is the first question. And number two, have I taken a bath? Have, 
Have you said, I want Jesus to wash my sins away in baptism? That's what I mean by have I taken a bath and put on my inauguration clothes. When Jesus lived a perfect uh, life and died a perfect death, out of his perfect life and death, later in just a minute, we're going to hear God the Father say, this is my beloved son and I am well pleased with him. Well, that well-pleased category gets woven into a spiritual garment that you can put on so that when God looks at you, he is well-pleased with you. Have I taken a bath and put on my inauguration clothes? Repentance, readiness, and finally, let's take a look at verses 9 to 13. Back on the front. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now, what is the point of an inauguration? It's very simple. It's not just a silly ceremony. It is that from the point of that ceremony on, this is the guy. This is the guy who bears responsibility. This is the guy who takes leadership. And this is the guy. That's, that's what Mark is writing here to you. See what happened when Jesus was inaugurated? Even God the Father showed up. Even the Holy Spirit, the other two persons of the Trinity showed up to put their arm around Jesus and say, he's your man. This is real, guys. You can believe that Jesus truly is the son of God. Want to know why he can make a big difference in your life? Want to know why 2017 can be the inauguration of a great new year of change for you? Because even God the Father and even the Holy Spirit say, he's the son of God. And who better to change your heart, your mind, your life than the very son of God? Then it goes on. Jesus was coming up out of the water. He saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And at once after those words were said, the spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. There was no honeymoon for Jesus. A lot of times after an inauguration, they'll talk about a honeymoon period. Not with Jesus. There was literally no honeymoon. He walks out of his inauguration and into the wilderness where he is asked to stand the test and show you are the son of God. 40 days being directly tested by Satan. And Mark doesn't give us a lot of detail here. We get some further details in the other gospels. But can you imagine no food or drink for 40 days and then being told, hey, dude, you got, you got the power to turn those rocks into bread. Aren't you hungry? I'd have turned those rocks into bread after day one. But Jesus didn't. 
Because where I cannot stand the test, he does. Where you cannot stand the test, he does. And all that perfection is given to you so that God can say, you are my son. With you, I am well pleased. Let's, let's take a look at what it says in John 1.11. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Do you get that? That's, that's what you've become, children of God in this new year. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Here's our last point. Jesus' inauguration invites me to be receptive to this. He is who he claimed to be, the Son of God and my Savior. Do you want good news and a new beginning? I want to encourage you to begin today by being repentant, by being ready for Jesus and the Holy Spirit to come live in your heart, and by, by being receptive to the truth that Jesus is the Son of God and your Savior. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we are so grateful for this good news. As we begin a new year, Lord, the very first thing I want to pray for everyone in this room, myself included, is that you will have us put down the New Year's resolutions and instead pick up a New Year's relationship with Jesus. Lord, I ask you to bring people back as we continue through this series because I really believe through the teaching of this gospel, good news, word of God message that you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, will persuade us more and more that Jesus is your son, the son of God, and that Jesus is truly our rescuer, our savior. Lord, we need that. As, as we ponder how we want 2017 to be different from all the years before this, we ask you to send your son to walk with us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. So before we close, if you would like to hear more messages, head over to CrosswalkPhoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. Jesus had an inauguration like no other. And now, as you go out those doors today, you have an opportunity given you by this good news of Jesus Christ to make 2017 a year that you inaugurate like no other. Inaugurated by being and continuing and strengthening your relationship with Jesus Christ, the Son of God and your Savior. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen. We'll see you out on the patio.